When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 370, and today we are talking about books being released on July 12th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hi, friend. How are you? I'm pretty good. I got very excited and texted you the other night because the question on Final yes. Jeopardy, which no one got, I got really? it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? The, the answer was so funny. The, the answer was this U.S. city now has ten times the population of the other U.S. city for which it was named in 1845. The answer is Portland. It's Portland, Oregon. Oregon. And like people don't believe me when I tell them that Portland, Maine. You know, like, Portland, Oregon is named for Portland, Maine. And I'm not saying, like, Portland, Oregon isn't as good as Portland, Maine, even if it isn't. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just a fact. It's named for it. And my husband was even like, how did you know that? I'm like, I don't know. I just knew that Portland, Oregon was named for Portland, Maine. So I texted you. I was very excited. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if it's the bias of where I live, but, like, if you immediately tell me, like, what's a city that has another, like, named after it in the same kind of, like, Portland always comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, hello, so... It's a fact. Another fact is that we are recording a few minutes later than we planned on it because I had a serial <laughs> emergency this morning. Now, we didn't get to banter before. We saved this for the show, so this is all news to me as well. Yeah, so I have a very busy day today, and I live in Maine, and in the summer, the population triples, sometimes quadruples because of vacationers, and so you have to kind of plan your day around the traffic because otherwise you're going to be stuck sitting in traffic. I live on the busiest road on the East Coast and, you know, I needed to get out this morning because it's Friday or else I'd be stuck in, you know, weekend traffic forever. So I decided to go to the store and then the thing that I wanted, like they were loading it off the truck and so I had to wait. I was running a little behind and, but I realized I needed to do this as I had just poured a bowl of wheat checks. And so I have cats (laughs) who are very bad, which I might've mentioned on the show before, my very bad cats. And so I put the bowl up in the cupboard to get it when I got back. Not with milk in it. I just, you know, put it up in the cupboard. Got home, did all my stuff, started to... I was like, oh, my cereal! I said I gotta get cereal. But, like, forgetting that I had already filled the bowl with wheat checks. So I grabbed it oh. off the shelf and, like, threw them all up in the air. They went... Part <laughs> of the kitchen. Oh, it's me. raining checks. Yeah. And I'm like trying to sweep them up and I keep hearing because the cat is eating them and I'm just like, stop it. Oh, yeah. So that was my cereal emergency this morning because I couldn't just leave it because knowing my husband, he would have just walked into the house and like walked all over them and uh, yeah, you know, I mean. it, would, it wouldn't have really, it would have been like, what's that? And like left them and like. You know, the I cats know. would have just been in like a checks coma. Yeah, checks, checks, checks. Yeah, they'll eat pretty much anything. One of them, not not Zevon, but Farouk will eat pretty much anything. So I had to clean it up. That was my big emergency this morning. Eh, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, I thought I had an emergency last night. I like critters in my yard. I've talked about that before. You know, I like to look out the window at the birds and the squirrels. And at night, there's foxes and skunks and raccoons. And we have these floodlights. 
you know, like they solar powered floodlights around the house. So like we can see in the lawn at night. And last night, you know, I kept peeking out the window because the raccoons come out. There's like a family of them and they're really cute. And I kept peeking out the window. And then like I I looked out the window and I saw this like shadow of a person. And I was like, (gasps) oh. Like terrified, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, there's Ooh. there's somebody in my yard. There's someone standing in my yard, and I'm like watching it, and like it just kind of like moves from like side to side a little bit, and I'm like, that's weird. And so I moved to a different spot of my house, and I looked out at the light, and there was a moth on the light, and he's like, look at me, I'm doing shadow oh, puppets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a moth. He's like, look at me, I'm a human. <laughs> He was, like, impressing all his friends with his shadow puppets. Oh, my God. That just took me out. I'm so sorry to our editor, Jen Zinkoo. <laughs> I just laughed very loud into the mic. Woo. Yeah, that yeah. was great. But for, like, a brief <laughs> second, I was terrified. I was like, there's someone standing in my yard. But it reminded me of my very favorite Sesame Street skit from when I was a little kid. There's this, like, one-minute thing where there's this little boy named Gerald, and he's going to bed, and his parents are saying goodnight to him and to his dog, Sparky, who's sleeping on his bed. And every time they turn the lights off... He sees an alligator, like, on the wall, being like, rawr, I'm an alligator. And they finally, like, figure out that it's the dog, like, doing shadow puppets. Shadow but, like, puppets. the dog, like, sings a little song. He's like, Aww. what does he say? He's like, I'm afraid of getting thinner. Won't you please become my dinner, alligator? <laughs> like, I don't know if that's copyrighted or anything. But it's, like, the best thing ever. And that's what it reminded me of. This moth was like, I'm going to mess you up. Good luck sleeping tonight. God, I never know what I'm going to get on these recordings, Lib. And um, you did not disappoint <laughs> that awesome, Thank like, you. low timbre in your voice as you sang along. <laughs> I'm I think I did a pretty good... You did great. I think I did a pretty good imitation. I do some really good Muppet voices. Also, I just sound like <sighs> a human Muppet. Also, I know none of you will believe me, but I haven't had any caffeine today. And on that note, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased 
increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Okay, yeah. I swear, no <laughs> caffeine yet. It's been too busy I believe cleaning it. up cereal. <laughs> but I'm just so jazzed because I get to talk about my favorite book of the year today. Oh. And- and that is just so exciting. Before I do that, though, another exciting thing that we need to tell you is that we are hiring an editorial operations associate. So you can come and work with Book Riot and try and wrangle me. <laughs> if you love getting into the nitty gritty of behind the scenes work, we are looking for someone to help us keep our metaphorical content trains running smoothly. And you get to work with the op-eds team to support editorial and the Book Riot writers. We are committed to building an inclusive workforce and strongly encourage applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. So you can apply by August 8th, 2022 by going to bookriot.com slash join us. And I, I'm really not that bad, I promise. <laughs> no, she's actually quite great. <laughs> <laughs> I just I sound like a lot of work. So anyway, getting back to books now because... Oh my goodness. I feel like I've talked about this book 800 million times and I probably have because I put it in like the best book we read this month, the best book we've read so far, the book we're looking forward to, the book <laughs> we're looking forward to this month. I've been on several other podcasts being like, this is what you need to know about next year. It's finally here. It's finally here. And it is Aww. Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. This is one of the most perfect, gorgeous novels I have ever read. Last year, I read it a year ago. Last year on Twitter, Kristen Arnett was like, I just read the best book I've ever read. So, of course, everyone's like, what is, what, what, what is the book? And she said, it's Our Wives Under the Sea. So I reached out to the publisher, and they put me in touch with the editor who sent me a bound manuscript. And I read it, and I was like, I have already read the best book of 2022, and it's only July of 2021. Like, what am I going to do now? It is so good. It's this slim queer romance with some speculative elements, and I love it so much. It's about a couple, Leah and Mary. Leah is a marine biologist, and she goes on a submarine expedition to look at things under the sea, because that is where you find things under the sea that you study. And she's working for this new company, and Mary's at home waiting for Leah to return. She has like a two-week window, I think, where she's going to be down on the ocean floor looking at things in the dark. And after the two weeks, Leah's submarine doesn't come back. Like, it doesn't rise to the top. And Mary's like a little worried. And as the hours and then the days go by, she's getting more and more worried. And she's trying to reach somebody at this new company where Leah works. And she's not getting any any help. They're like passing her around and she's not getting any answers. And and then eventually, like, they just stop taking her calls, and she doesn't know what to do. Like, her wife is missing, and she doesn't know what to do. Meanwhile, in between these chapters, we get an idea of what's going on in the submarine with Leah and the two other marine biologists who are down there with her. And it's some beautiful, dark stuff, you know, under the sea. And it's just, ugh. But wait, there is more, because eventually... Leah's submarine does come back way past the time it was supposed to. And when Leah's submarine comes back, Leah is not quite the same person that she was. She doesn't really talk about what happened when she was down there. 
Uh, she doesn't want to leave the apartment. She keeps turning all the faucets on in the house. She keeps filling up the bathtub and sitting in it. And Mary doesn't know what to do. Like, first she was, like, missing her wife, and she was she was grieving, and she didn't know where she was. And now her wife is home, but she's not the same person that she was. And she's trying to take care of her and figure out what happened to her. And it's just, oh, it's sublime. Like, pun intended. It's amazing. about It's about their love and how people change and relationships change and... I will say, I read this book and I was like, that was like the most beautiful, amazing book that I've read. And then I passed it on to one of my friends who was like, that was so scary. <laughs> like, I didn't find it scary. So I read it again and I was like, hmm, did not find it scary. So another one of my friends read it and was like, amazing. That was really scary. So I guess this book could be considered scary. I mean, I am afraid of things under the sea. Like, I don't go in the ocean. Like, there's stuff in there. You know, like, no thank you. But... So that kind of scares me, but I did not find it scary. But there is some body horror. I want to give content warnings for body horror, suicide, loss, grief, and animal death. Which, if I'm being honest, I don't remember why I wrote that down in my notes. So just know <laughs> that going in. Like, I don't I don't remember anymore. But it is just amazing. Like, you know, I have a few favorite books of the year. Obviously, Unlikely Animals, you know, is like... It's like an amazing book and it's big and long and full of all kinds of different story plots and it's very intricate and it's funny. And this one is very slim and the writing is just like crystal. It's just clear and perfect and I'm so in love with it. And yes, I'm going to stop going on and on about it, but that is Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. Well, I officially put that in my cart. So oh my goodness. <laughs> as you were talking. I love it so much. You, I um, edit as one of the, you know, one of my jobs as editor is that I touch essentially at some point or another, almost all of our newsletters and podcasts. And uh, after a while, you start to kind of like spin with your TBR because I'm reading, I'm, I spend my day or like a huge chunk of my day reading other people's recommendations for books. <laughs> and I have absolutely clocked you mentioning this book on several different occasions, but I'm yes. like, yes, it's, it's officially time to add it to my pile. Every chance <laughs> I can get, every chance. I just also want to mention that Julia Armfield has an amazing collection of stories that came out before that called Salt Slow. So. Oh, that she's salt slow. You're right. Oh, yes. Okay, well, that just convinced me further. Excellent. Now convince me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will. I don't know if I have as much Muppet arming for my book, but it is really good. So my first pick is The It Girl by Ruth Ware. Ruth Ware has become kind of an auto-read for me. She scratches a lot of the Agatha Christie itch that I like in modern mystery. She's just like always kind of kind of knocks it out of the park for me. She's the author of, gosh, a million books, but The Woman in Cabin 10. Uh, what was the last one that I really loved by her? In a Dark, Dark Wood, I think. Oh, and then the one last year that she put out that, of course, I am blanking on the name of, but it was the one set in like the Swiss Alps. I think it's called The One or something like that. And that one was really, really great. So this is her latest. Um, at the start of the book, our main character, whose name is Hannah, is reliving a memory. She's walking through a quad at Oxford at night. And she's approaching her rooms, like her, you know, dorms, basically. She goes up four flights to her room. She approaches the door and she keeps commenting over and over about the door being open and how, like, why didn't she notice the door was open? The door being open was a bad sign. She should have known something was wrong. And that's because when she opened that door, inside was the dead body of her roommate and best friend, April. So the book then from there on is basically told, well, from the beginning, it's told in flashbacks. We get before and after chapters, like when they, it goes back and forth between the two. In the after, we meet Hannah, and it's, I think, a decade later. Uh, she's now working at a children's bookshop. She's married, she's pregnant, and she's living sort of a small and quiet existence, intentionally. It's kind of how she likes it. 
And she's at work when her cell phone rings and it's her mom. And her mom isn't one to call randomly, period, even less so during the workday. So Hannah picks up and is like, uh, everything okay? And it's kind of clear from the beginning that something's not. So her mom says, you know, have you seen the news? She's like, no, why? She's like, uh, John Neville, he's dead. And so she had a heart attack in prison. And so this news of this person named John Neville being dead is clearly having an effect on Hannah. She sort of goes numb. And then we flash back again to the before and then to the after and to the before. And in the before, we meet Hannah as a teen. She's arriving at Oxford for the first time. She's like young and wide-eyed and she comes from this humble background. So she's so ecstatic to be studying at Oxford and to be staying in these very like the classic like old school style rooms to get to you know study where the greats studied. She is, however, surprised to see that there's someone in the room that she was told that she was going to have to herself. That's when she meets this girl named April Clark Cliveden. And April is, as you may have guessed from the title, uh, the it girl. She's very, like, fancy and put together. She's got luggage that costs more than, like, everything Hannah owns. (laughs) She's very posh, comes from a really wealthy, well-to-do, like, you-should-know-who-I-am type of family. And because her dad pulled some strings, she got a last-minute housing assignment, so now she's Hannah's new roommate. And she's just sort of one of those, you know, big, larger-than-life, sparkling, vivacious personalities. She's bright, despite what people say about her. Like, everybody sort of assumes that she gets good grades because her dad paid for them. But she's actually super smart and kind of works, you know, her butt off. But she also has a vicious side. She's a consummate practical joker. And she's a little bit vengeful. So, like, if she believes that someone has done her wrong, whether, you know just because of her perception or because it actually happened. She tends to kind of hone her sights on that person. But Hannah is sort of, again, drawn into her orbit. And before she knows it, Hannah is part of a group of friends that are all sort of inseparable. So it's Will, Hugh, Ryan, Emily, and then, you know, Hannah and April. But by the end of the year, as we know from that, you know, first kind of flashback, April is dead. And John Neville, who was a porter at the school with some really, really creepy tendencies, was convicted of that murder with help from Hannah's testimony. And this is all not spoiler because it happens, you know, in the very beginning of the book. But in the after, again, very beginning of the book, we know that, so like I mentioned, Hannah is pregnant. Well, she's also married to Will, and Will was April's boyfriend back in school. And with the news of John Neville's death in the, you know, present, a reporter tracks Hannah down to say that he might have evidence that Neville was actually innocent. And the story unfolds from there. It definitely kept me guessing. I think I've said before that I'm not a person who necessarily like needs to, like, even if I solve it, I, if the book is well written, I don't really tend to mind. But I didn't solve it. I maybe towards the end had an inkling, but I absolutely was led in a different direction, you know, quite deftly by the author. This is really good on audio if you're a person who audios. It's narrated by Imogen Church, who has done at least the last several, if not all, of Ruth Ware's books, plus stuff from other authors like Lucy Foley and Paula Hawkins and Nikki French. But it was just so much fun. I had a really good time with it. I will say if you do the audio, it is very slow if you leave it at that 1.0. I had to double that. To, I think I made him even listen to it at 2.0, which I never, ever do. <laughs> but Anyway, really great, riveting read. I had a lot of fun with this one. So that's The It Girl by Ruth Ware. All right. You didn't have to convince me of that one because I read it. (laughs) It's funny because I do a lot of reading like really early on. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, this one, I have to read this one. And you started talking about it. I'm like, I read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do that somewhat often. (laughs) Oh, more and more these days than I used to. My brain is not what it used to be. Um, oh my goodness! Speaking of which, I forgot to tell you that yesterday was the best day of my life. It, like, oh, okay. I was gonna tell you that when we got on the phone, and I forgot to tell you. I saw a dog in a convertible wearing goggles. <laughs> Doggles. 
Like I was sitting waiting. What in the Mad Libs podcasting have I stepped into I, today? Like it's completely like random just mentioning this because it was the best thing ever. He was like in a like in a convertible at a stoplight and I was waiting for my husband to come out of the drugstore and I was like, is that dog wearing sunglasses? And I was like, he's wearing goggles. Nope. He's wearing goggles. goggles. And like I got it on film, but you can't like really tell because he's far Aww. away, but it was the best thing ever. I'm very happy for you in this important moment. Thank you. I marked it down. It was very, it was very exciting. Very July eighth. <laughs> yeah, it was July seventh. I saw. Oh like, yes, I today's already marked Eve. It Yeah. Mama. Yeah. See, it's already burned on my brain. Unlike a lot of things, <laughs> like the fact that I put cereal in that bowl. All right. So my next book for today is actually a paperback release that somehow, even though it's like a book riot favorite, I guess we didn't talk about it on the podcast last year when it came out. Oh, so, how funny. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about it now. It is We Have Always Been Here by Lena Nguyen. And this one is scary. I'll tell you right there. It is scary. So get ready. Hold on to your butts because it is a scary spaceship story. I love a scary spaceship story. Like the S.A. Barnes, Dead Silence. That was that. I don't know if that was this year or last year. I can't even remember anymore. But I love like an, an, an event, an event, event horizon, Prometheus kind of scary thing, even though Prometheus is a terrible movie. Um, so this one is about a psychologist named Dr. Grace Park. She is on a survey ship that is headed to this planet uh, that has never been explored before. Um, it's way in the future. The Earth is a hot mess, like, even more than usual. It, it, the Earth has decided it no longer wants humans on it, and this weird event has taken place where all this growth has come up overnight and, like, forced people out of their homes, like, literally, and people have started to live in these domes, and there's no more space, so... People are headed off to space, we're, we're checking out all these planets, we're doing all these things. And so now there's this survey team going to check out this icy planet that no one's ever landed on before. And now Dr. Grace Park is there, she is second in command as far as a psychiatrist. There's her co-worker, Dr. Keller, who is in charge. And, she, and then there's, like, a crew of, like, 11 more people, like, a, you know, a couple of security people and a cartographer and, you know, the captain... They don't like Grace, this team. They've been on this ship for, like, ten months, and now at the beginning of the book they have landed on this planet. And part of it is that she's not conscripted. Uh, most of the people on the ship are conscripted, which means that they basically pledge to do anything that the company tells them to do so that they can get off planet and find homes for their families. And she is not, so she can just get fired if she does bad at her job. But basically, it's her job to tell the company, you know, what the other people are doing. So they see her as a spy, and they don't really trust her. Plus, she seems to get along better with the android crew on the ship than she does with the humans, and they hate the androids. They're made to look like humans, they have expressions, they talk to people... And as they go along and interact, they pick up on more and more. So they learn more things like swearing and asking questions and, and, and checking on people and stuff. And so they don't really trust Grace and she's not having a great time. Uh, and when they get to the planet, weird things start happening almost immediately. Like through reasons that I'm not going to tell you, Grace is suddenly the only psychiatrist on the ship. And she's like, this wasn't my job. I was just supposed to be back up. And she kind of like her specialty is reading faces and like little ticks and, like, little squints, and, like, when people make little frowny lines, like, she interprets those for the head psychologist, and now she's in charge, and they don't want to talk to her, because they don't trust her, but also, some people start having nightmares, but they're also similar to one another, like, how are they having shared nightmares, and 
she doesn't know what to do. The, the person in charge of the androids is incapacitated, so no one is there to correct them or fix them. So the androids begin to behave strangely. And now Grace is thinking about it. She's like, wait a second. When they send out survey teams to check out a planet, they send out like a hundred people on a crew and they send all kinds of engineers and, and architects and, and instead we've got like a bunch of security people and two psychiatrists and some androids. Like this isn't right. And she's like kicking herself for not realizing this ahead of time and she doesn't know what to do. But as the days go on, things get stranger and weirder and more violent and in between this, we start to get the transcripts of these two explorers who have found an uncharted planet and decided to explore it, even though they are not supposed to. That is against regulations in the Federation. Uh, they decide they're going to go check out this uncharted planet and maybe, you know, come back and, and say, like, give us a bazillion dollars and we'll tell you where to find this new planet. Um, so they have big dreams, but it's not going to work out well for them. So it's super creepy. Uh, the spaceship is really big and dark and has all these tunnels. There's no windows. And also, Grace is not allowed off the ship because she's not conscripted. She has no work on the planet, so she's not allowed to leave the spaceship. So she has to spend all her time on the ship in the artificial light. She doesn't know what's going on outside. They're not allowed to tell her because she's not conscripted. So like, they come back and it's obvious that things have happened, but she's not allowed to know what they are. So she's just on the ship like wondering what's happening outside and it just gets creepier and creepier and violent it gets violent as you can imagine this is a scary book but it's so much fun and so many rioters love it and recommend it it is oh let me give you the content warnings before i forget uh, there is content warnings for violence self-harm body horror and death this is we have always been here by lena nguyen when everybody was talking about that book last year, I read a book. I just happened to have read it around the same time. It's called like the exact same thing, except it's by Samira. Yes. Or Samira Hubby. Yeah. So when people were like, this book is really scary and it's creepy and whatever. I'm like, well, yes, like racism and homophobia, like, you know, but like, I remember thinking yeah. like, no, but it's not like that kind of creepy though. And then maybe two weeks later, I was like, oh, it's a different book. <laughs> so I, I've been meaning. Yeah, to read. it happens a lot. Yeah, and, like, sometimes the publisher catches it and they change the title. Like, there's a new Adam Sternberg coming out at the beginning of next year in March. And there's an Alex Finlay novel coming out, like, the month before. And they both have the same title. So they just changed. Oh, my gosh. They just changed <laughs> it. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Like, I remember last yeah. year there were two books by this title. So I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like, this book isn't set in space, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I was very much like, I, I don't, I don't really get the, not in that way, scary. <laughs> I felt yeah. very silly after. But also an excellent book. <laughs> very. Oh, I loved it. I love that book. All right. What do you have next? My next one is a memoir that I also loved, and it's called Crying in the Bathroom by uh, Erika L. Sanchez. Erika Sanchez is the author of a YA book that I also loved and that many of you did as well called I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. I believe it's being adapted. It feels like everything's being adapted. I just don't remember like what the progress is on that. But oh, such a great YA book that feels in some ways a lot like autofiction. <laughs> Not in all ways. But anyway, so to tell you a little bit about Erika, so she, this is her memoir. It's about her life, obviously. It starts with her childhood, where she grew up in, she grew up pretty poor, actually, the daughter of Mexican immigrants in like 1990s Chicago. She was always sort of a misfit with a dark soul. She loved comedy, always did, but had like a really dark sense of humor and a foul mouth, you know, qualities that 
especially in communities of color are like often, you know, you're not, it's not, they're not feminine. You shouldn't act that way. You're not supposed to act that way as a lady. And so it's a story of how she just sort of always felt a little bit out of place, but had big dreams to become a writer. She was always drawn to like artistic expression and didn't really see a lot of examples of people of color and, you know, like young Mexican women, like getting to do that, but was pretty determined to do so. And I mean, talk about grit. Like she (laughs) pursued, all the way up to higher education. She's actually a Fulbright scholar. But this memoir is very, just so, so incredibly candid and honest about like, kind of, I mean, really the messiness of life. Like she goes, you know, through her childhood, through to, you know, her high school years, and then eventually her 20s, that like, just messiness of your 20s, <laughs> everything from, you know, casual sex, good and bad relationships, drug and alcohol use. But she's also really, really candid about her mental health struggles. This is a really a theme that kind of works its way consistently through the book. It's just, oh, she goes back to like her college days and talks about traveling, you know, eventually studying and then living abroad and through all of the struggles that she was going through and trying to kind of find her sense of place and identity and dealing with that mental health uh, struggle, the truly uh, transformative power, I I know words, (laughs) transformative power of comedy of art in general and travel and like how good those things were for the soul, what it's like to challenge the ideals that you grew up with. And I I can definitely speak to a lot of that feeling really relatable coming from a, you know, very similar Mexican American background, finding different ways to express her spirituality that broke out of the mold that she just didn't see for herself in, you know, like a really strict Catholic background. It's a, a meditation on the importance of having choices. And this book was written well before, obviously, the current moment that we're going through with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and women just suddenly having their choice having rip, you know, been ripped out from under them. But this book is a strong meditation on that as well. She does talk about an experience with abortion. There's just so much in here that I feel like I'm not doing justice. But it's just, again, like, uh, you, you hear that word tossed around a lot. It's, you know, honest and candid, but she really just holds, she pulls no punches. Like, she's very, very upfront. She's got that, again, dark sense of humor, sort of, you know, vulgar mouth, all of which I highly enjoy. On one, you know, page, you're laughing really, really hard at some funny story that she's telling. And then a few pages later, I feel the tears welling up when she's talking about, you know, what it was like to figure out that she was, you know, pregnant with like the wrong person's child or what it was like to kind of discover who she really was while, you know, overseas. And there's just so much in here that I, that I, I clung to as I was reading it. It's also narrated by her on audio and she did a really great job with it. So if audio is your jam, um, I'm just all about the audio books lately, but she's, it's just such a wonderful, touching, raw, raw is a really great word for this memoir that I loved spending time with and that kind of helped fill in the gaps and learn more about the woman behind this YA book that I saw a lot of myself in as well. So that is Crying in the Bathroom, a memoir by Erika L. Sanchez. Oh, right. I couldn't find my mute button there for a second. <laughs> I was like, where did it go? We use a different format for recording, basically, between each of us, because some people can't get Skype to work where they are in the country, and some of us can't <laughs> so get weird. the Slack calls to work where we are, so you and I are using Zencaster, and I'm like, where's the mute button on this one? I can never remember. <laughs> Is it down below? Is it on my Chrome? I have to find it. Anyway, so I'm going to now tell you about my first choice for books that we are excited about that we may or may have not read. But before I do that, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series, from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. So I know everyone is super excited for this book. And I did happen to read it. It is What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. Now, T. Kingfisher, love, 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 love. Right? Like, has written a gazillion novels, both under T. Kingfisher and her real name, which is Ursula Vernon. She wrote the Dragon Breath graphic novel series for kids, which is so, so cute. And also the horror comedies, the twisted ones, and the hollow places. And my, like, favorite fantasy book of the year. One of the best. Like, more people read this, please, because I still am not seeing it on Instagram or BookTok. It is Nettle and Bone, which I talked about earlier in the year. Just love this fantasy book. And we are so lucky because we have two books from T. Kingfisher this year. This one is actually very slim. It's coming out from Tor and Nightfire. It's a horror story. And it is based on The Fall of the House of, House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, which I have not read. <laughs> so I went into this, started reading it, and then I went back to look something up and I was like, oh, it's based on that. Okay, well, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to go with it um, because I, I don't know. But this is about a retired soldier named Alex Easton And they get a letter from their childhood friend, Madeline Usher, who tells them, please, 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 please come to the house of Usher right away. Um, You know, everything is horrible. I'm very ill. And when Alice gets there, they discover that, yes, indeed, Madeline is dying and her brother is something is going on with him. And also their house is surrounded by super creepy mushrooms. So if you're not into fungi horror, like drop out now. Uh, (laughs) And so 
there's these mushrooms everywhere, and also some rabbits who are behaving very strangely. Or hares, I should say. They are hares in the book. Apparently they are larger than rabbits. I'm learning all kinds of things. And so at night, Madeline sleepwalks, and her brother continues to get very nervous and weird, and he's having nightmares. And there's a Dr. Denton there with them, and Alex and Denton are trying to figure out what to do. They don't know what to do. But there's also this really cool British lady who is the aunt of Beatrix Potter and an expert on mushrooms who hangs out and they're trying to figure this all out before the hares and the mushrooms get them all. It's Like I said, it's only 170 pages. It's based on the Edgar Allan Poe story. And it's very creepy. It's really fun. It's quite funny. And also, one of the great things about it is that when I was reading this, I started reading it and I was like, oh, mushrooms, Okay. Like Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And when you read, I'm not spoiling anything for you, when you read this book, What Moves the Dead, there is an afterword in which T. Kingfisher is like, so I had this idea and my editors were like, yes, 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 give us creepy mushroom book. And I started writing it and then I read Mexican Gothic and was like, no, a creepy <laughs> mushroom book and it's so much better than mine. She's like, never mind, I'm not going to do this. And her editor's like, you are going to do the thing. So she did turn in her creepy mushroom book, but she highly recommends that everyone go and read Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, which we all do, really. And so that was very funny. And it's just, it's fun. It's very slim, a little creepy. And now I need to read the story. I'm assuming it it will be very easy to find online. You know, if I go looking for it, the Edgar Allan Poe story. I mean, it must be, you know, public domain. And yeah, he's quite old. So that would be correct. Yes. And (laughs) he's quite old. Yeah. Famously dead, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in the last couple of books that that T. Kingfisher has done, her horror books, there's a dog, and everyone's always worried about the dog. And so we like to tell you, you know, ahead of time, slight spoiler, you know, that the dog makes it. So in this book, there is a horse who is very much like a dog, has very dog-like qualities. So I'm going to spoil it for you right now about the horse, and if you don't want to hear, cover your ears. But yes, the horse does make it. So don't worry about the horse. But it's not so good for some of the rabbits, I mean the hares, and content warnings also for body horror, gore, suicide, illness, and loss of a loved one, murder, animal death, because rabbits, I mean hares, I can't, why can't I call them hares? And then also war and PTSD related to war. So this one is What Moves the Dead, and it's by T. Kingfisher. I just realized that I didn't give trigger warnings for my last pick. Um, so well, I- go for it. Need to do that because it they yeah, definitely you probably picked up on a lot of it from that description. But uh, trigger warning for brief mentions of sexual assaults, not graphic and mostly off page, uh, but also everything that comes with mental health struggles, including suicidal ideation. And also want to say that I was bamboozled into reading Mexican Gothic, bamboozled by myself really because I love Silvia Moreno Garcia. I'll read anything she writes, but I love eating mushrooms. Cannot stand the sight of them, like especially in like a really growthy. Because they're creepy. Fungal way. And then, oh my gosh. And reading that book, I was just like, ah, ah, ah. like I powered through, but oh my gosh. And I really wanted to read the T.K. Fisher book, but now I'm thinking I may need to take a beat. So let me ask you, how do you feel about the Smurfs? I do like the Smurfs. Don't they're they live they're in cute mushrooms? enough to not, yes, but they're like, I don't know, whenever they're like drawn really clean lightedly, it doesn't, yeah, it's when I see, especially when they're like just, oh my gosh, and everybody here in Oregon loves to forage for mushrooms. So like you see them out in the wild. And oh, when I sure. see them, my skin immediately crawls. Like I, I just, I can't. I, uh-huh. <laughs> I love I, eating them. Chop them up and put them in a saute pan. Delicious. Yeah. But that's about it. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. 
Yeah, not not my bag. My skin is just <laughs> one giant goosebump well, right now. this is not a book for you. But speaking <laughs> of Sylvia Marie de Garcia, you know, she has a novel coming out soon. Daughter, Daughter of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, yes. which is based on The Island of Dr. Moreau, which I have not read. But I did read the Gerald Gregory book based on it and the Sylvia Marie de Garcia. So maybe I should, like, actually read the Dr. Moreau <laughs> I like how everything today is like, here's stories that we love that we have not read the original it's based off. Yeah. That's fine. Well, I mean, you don't have to know anything about it. No. I don't think. You know? Like, when I, my friend is a huge T. Kingfisher fan, and when I told her there was a new book, she's like, but I haven't read the Edgar Allan Poe. And I'm like, eh, I don't think you have to. No. If you want to, like, compare it side by side, then by all means, you know, like, that's probably fun too. I like to do that with, you know, Agatha Christie books and adaptations. Same. Be like, not, yeah. not that's not what happened. You know, like Jaws. <laughs> that is not what happened in the movie. Like, oh, Jaws! So different. You know, the book is such garbage, and and that is a hill I will die on. And so, you know, if that's what you like to do, then by all means, please. I keep saying by all means because I just listened to Hamilton this morning. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> I was kidding. We are on one today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. This is a journey. <laughs> and I will now take us in a different direction. Hope you brought your walking shoes and some water. All right. Go oh, ahead. my gosh. I'm having a great time. Um, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> my, um, I have not read either of my next two picks. Um, this one actually came out last week, and I've seen so much buzz again in editing other people's content that it finally just broke through that list that, like, I don't know, I need to add it to my my list space in my brain and that's acts of violet by margarita montemore which i think is just the most fancy name margarita montemore so she is the author of a book that had a lot of buzz last year called una out of order that i feel like i also saw everywhere but never got around to reading (laughs) even though i think i own it story of our life but this uh jamie canaves who does our unusual suspects newsletter a lot of our on-site mystery content and just tons of stuff for book riot but she's a person that i go to a lot for recommendations in general definitely but also specifically for audiobooks and she recommended this one and called it one of her favorite books of the year so it was an automatic ad apparently the audiobook is i looked it up it looks like a giant ensemble cast and parts of the book are told as interviews and as a podcast so i guess she said it was so good that she would sometimes forget that it was a novel and not an actual podcast so we get a mystery and a family drama in one as jamie puts it it's about a famous musician named Violet uh, Violet Volk, I think. And she disappeared a decade ago in the middle of an act, actually. <laughs> That's, she vanished mid-act, and she's never been seen since. So the book takes place, again, like 10 years later. Violet was always the kind of person who sought out the spotlight, but her sister Sasha was sort of the opposite. She was always like the really responsible one who took over their mother's salon and kind of built a life, quiet life for herself and her daughter. Sasha was the one who always wanted to be in the spotlight, and, or sorry, Violet was. And so Sasha kind of always felt like she couldn't escape her sister's orbit. And she's sort of been plagued by memories of their unresolved and just not great relationship at the time, you know, of Violet's disappearance. And then there's somebody named Cameron who is determined to kind of make, get his big break in podcasting. And what he is podcasting about is a show that is completely dedicated to all things Violet. He wants to kind of, you know, blow it up for the 10-year anniversary of her disappearance, and he's doing so by essentially interviewing anyone and everyone who had anything to do with Violet. And his job depends at this point on nailing an exclusive interview with Sasha, 
but she doesn't want to talk to him. She doesn't want anything to do with the podcast, no matter how much people, you know, hound her about it. She just doesn't want anything to do with it or all of the, you know, conflicting theories, especially since she herself was often included in those theories as to like what might have happened to her sister. So between the current life, you know, we get, you know, Sasha's current life and then the podcast transcripts that go, you know, back into Violet and Sasha's history, the stories are slowly kind of colliding to, for us to, you know, possibly see what happened. So I love the format. The format really intrigues me and I love anything with, yeah, like magicians and magic. So this sounds really, really fun. That's Acts of Violet by Margarita Montemore. And that actually came out last week. All right. It's okay that you didn't read Una out of order. Yet, because since the book is all over the place, like, like why read it in a timely fashion, right? Yeah, it's literally about that. <laughs> like, yeah. you're really going with the theme if you read it in a little bit. See, I try. <laughs> yeah. Or go wild. Read the end first. See what happens. <laughs> so, my next pick I am so excited about. It is Venomous Lump Sucker, which is, like, the best name, right, first of all. And the best cover. Yes. Oh. Yes, I was going to mention that. I have to finish what I'm saying, though. <laughs> That's okay. I stole your thunder. I'm so sorry. excited about the cover. I was like, who is this? Oh, yeah. So it's Venomous Lumpsucker, and it's by Ned Bowman, who I love. He writes the most bizarre, amazing, smart, weird stories. Uh, he wrote The Teleportation Accident, which is the best ending of any book I've ever read, and just love it. Also, Boxer Beetle, Madness is Better Than Defeat, Glow. They're just like these trippy, smart, weird books. And this one is about the future in about 15 or 20 years where most of the species on the planet have gone extinct and scientists are trying to preserve them by cloning them. But then there's an act of uh, cyber terrorism which wipes out all of these biobanks and all of the DNA for all these animals that we were trying to replace. Uh, and it's about these two... Uh, scientists who are really concerned mostly about the venomous lump sucker. Like, it's the smartest fish on the planet, and it's the one that, that they really feel like needs to come back, and it's almost extinct, so they're going to try and find it. And, yes, so the cover of this book, like, it's my favorite color combination. It has been since I was a child. I don't know why. It is fluorescent pink and fluorescent green, which is, like, amazing. Kind of like The Gone Away World by Nick Harkaway. I love a cover that you can see from space. Venomous slump sucker, uh, not a pretty fish. Not gonna lie, not a pretty fish. He's right there on the cover, but he looks like he has a lot of personality, and I just am so excited about this book. I haven't gotten to it yet, and I don't know why. However, my husband's friend was here last week, and he's like, "I need something to read," and I said, "Read this and and tell me how it's going." So yesterday I checked in with him, and he was like, "I'm on chapter four, and it's amazing." And I was like, "All right, so." I'll have to get to that soon, but I do love Nick Bowman so much that I used to, like, pester the publisher when I found out that he had a new book coming, um, and he'd be like, all right, just leave me alone, and I'll get it for you. I was like, yay! So, very. I don't know why I didn't get to this one yet, but I'm gonna, and I'm gonna stop talking now. It is Venomous Lump Sucker by Ned Bowman. Who is a great personality. Well, the, 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 the fish does. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Okay, so I'm gonna round me out. Round me out. I'm gonna round me out. I'm gonna round us out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that kind of day uh, with another one that I cannot believe I haven't read yet because this sounds so amazing and I did not know anything about this author. So the the book is called The Man Who Could Move Clouds by Ingrid Ingrid Rojas Contreras, and she is the author of a book that I also have owned for many years but not read called Fruit of the Drunken Tree, which is amazing. It's amazing. It's it's re- it's a lot. I know, and that's why I'm, like, so mad that I haven't read it. <laughs> like, it's a lot. It's really hard to read, but it's, I know. it's good. 
that's why I haven't read it because yeah, I just haven't been in the place. But amazing. But dude, this this story though, like her background is just so so fascinating. Like I cannot wait to read this. So for her, magic has always run in the family. So that immediately had me. I was like, tell me more. And I am Latin American, and so many of these things just make so much sense to me. And if you are as well, or just like come from a lot of different, you know, brown cultures that incorporate sort of magic and these kinds of customs in your culture, you're just going to love this. So she was raised amid the political violence of 80s and 90s Colombia. And her house was always bustling because her mom was a fortune teller. So she always had clients coming in and out of the house. And so she was sort of a a person who's hard to surprise because she's sort of seen a lot of the interesting things that life has to offer. Her maternal grandfather, Nono, was also a renowned curandero. And like, I don't know, I grew up going to see curanderos. (laughs) They're like community healers, basically. Um, but her, you know, her grandfather in particular was gifted with what the family called the secrets, which was the power to talk to the dead, to tell the future, treat the sick, and move the clouds. And again, these are some of these things are things that I very much remember growing up with. Like we all knew a curandero who could maybe do some of these things. So she, her mother was the first woman in the family to inherit, you know, quote unquote, the secrets, this like same ability. So Ingrid Rojas Contreras just always saw her mom as being this like super powerful person and she just seemed to have, you know, uncanny abilities that one couldn't really, you know, explain. And so this legacy was something that she always felt like belonged more to her mom and grandfather and that she didn't connect with or feel like she had anything to do with. But then when she was living in the the, the US in her 20s, she suffered a head injury that left her with amnesia. And as she was regaining her memory, her family was super jazzed about <laughs> what had happened to her. She's like, mm, better why? And it's because decades before, her own mother also sustained a fall that left her with amnesia. And she said that basically in her recovery, that's when she gained access to the secrets. And so then in 2012, after a shared dream, which is apparently a the- you know the theme of some of the books we've talked about today, but a shared dream that she had with her mom and her sisters, she just was overcome with this powerful urge to like learn her family history in the aftermath of all that she's been going through, you know, with her memory loss and all of these things that are allegedly maybe going to happen to her. So she and her mom go on a journey back to Colombia to a disinter her nono's remains and then kind of just go on this journey to trace her lineage back to her roots, which are, you know, indigenous and Spanish and to uncover a lot, just the, the colonial narrative that has it really, it came to break apart her family as, as the synopsis puts her mestizo family into two camps. Those who believe the secrets are a gift and those who are convinced they are a curse. So I just think this sounds so, so fascinating. I, again, I have some relation to some of the stuff here, but other, really just the, the, dyna- the family dynamics period and then all the magical elements that may or may not, you know, be at play here just sound so riveting. And I, I really had no idea that that was, you know, the background that this author came with. So really excited to do that and maybe eventually finally gird my loins enough to read Fruit of the Drunken Tree. But that's The Man Who Could Move Clouds by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. All right. So those are books that we may not have read, but we are excited about. Um, before I continue, I... Remember, there was one more thing that I wanted to say today. Last week on the show, I was talking about how I was reading this cute little graphic novel in the middle of the night because I had been reading a cannibal serial killer book and decided to switch it up before I went to sleep. And so many of you adorable little ADBs (laughs) were like, hey, what's the cannibal serial killer book that you were reading? (laughs) Which I love. I love you. You're my people. Um, I I have to say, it was just uh, an Agent Pendergast novel. 
Um, I've been rereading them because my brain can't function sometimes, you know, because of everything that's going on. So I just go back to books that require nothing of me. So I was reading uh, White Fire by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, which is, you know, the FBI agent Pendergrass novels, in which he is like a cross between Sherlock Holmes and Richie Rich. And they're just ridiculous. Like when I read them, I'm going, this is ridiculous. Like this, like... Like, volcano fights and, you know, like, yes. make, making earthquakes happen and, you know, time... Like, it's it's ridiculous. And yet, I, they're so well-written, I can't stop reading them. But they are, you know, they're not great as far <laughs> as, like, content. They're quite problematic. You know, we all have those. Uh, yes. So, anyway, that's what it was. I wish I had, like, a more <laughs> exciting title for you. But I also, I just love that so many of you were like... Psst, Tell us about the cannibals. So <laughs> Please. <laughs> hilarious. All right. So now we are going to do a quick round of paperback releases because that's exciting too. Starting off with Dear Miss Metropolitan by Carolyn Farrell. This was a finalist for the 2022 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction and a finalist for the 2022 Penn Hemingway Award for Debut Novel which is about a neighborhood in which some tragedy happens and it explores the intersections of grief and rage, personal strength and healing. Kate in Waiting by Becky Albertalli is out. It's a sort of theater romance about these two best friends who are like as close as can be, Kate and Anderson, but they both have the same cr- the crush on the same guy and when he shows up at their school, you know, he's only going to pick one of them and it's going to cause a problem in their friendship. There's The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas, which is a YA horror story about a young man at a high school who is haunted by the ghost of a school shooter. Going to nonfiction, we have Body Language, Writers on Identity, Physicality, and Making Space for Ourselves, edited by Nicole Chung and Matt Ortile. It is an anthology of essays published by Catapult Magazine about the stories our bodies tell and how we move within and against expectations of race, gender, health, and ability. There's also Hooked by A.C. Wise, which is a paperback original as well. And uh, Wise is the author of Wendy Darling, another Peter Pan uh, story. This one is about what happens to Captain Hook after Neverland. There's The Romance Recipe, a paperback original by Ruby Barrett, about a restaurant owner who falls for her head chef. August Kitko and the Mechas from Space by Alex White, another paperback original. It is the first in the Star Metal Symphony which I'm mentioning because I just think that's a great, great title. Star Metal Symphony just sounds beautiful and I want to hear it. Um, It's about a jazz pianist who is spending his final moments on Earth playing the piano and kissing a rock star because the aliens are about to land and take everybody out and then that doesn't happen. And rounding it off, we have Bet on It by Jodie Slaughter, another paperback original. This is a romance about a young woman who encounters the man of her dreams. Unfortunately, it's while she's having a panic attack in the frozen food section of the Piggly Wiggly. Uh, I have not read this one, but it has so many amazing reviews and apparently some really great uh, mental illness and disability representation. So I'm excited to read this one. And yeah, so those are a bunch of books and some wacky stuff that came out of my mouth. Um, What are you going to read next? (laughs) Again, it's been a journey. Um, So the one that I need to get to that I keep stopping and starting to do other reading, but that Jamie and I have been listening to together is A Marvelous Light by, oh my gosh, the author, is it Freya Freya Marsk? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Which I've seen described as a fluid filled fantasy (laughs) for reasons and i am very excited <laughs> I've, I've, i'm maybe like halfway through and really love it so i need to go and finish that 
And then I also want to read Counterfeit by Kristen Chen for hearing a couple of different people talk about that. So. Both very good. I got to interview her for her um, launch, which was oh, that's right, which was really fun. And also, I read the follow up to A Marvelous Light, which I am forgetting now the title. But oh my gosh, uh, me too. I can see the cover in my it's head. It's being but. called. <laughs> it's it's a restless truth. There we go. Uh, there we go. It's about the sister, and it's being called A Lesbian Knives Out on a Ship. So yeah, so that one is really great too. So you're going to be excited when you get to read that one after you finish A Marvelous yeah. Light. And I am reading Vampire Weekend by Mike Chen, which, yes, is the name of a band, but is also <laughs> the name of this new novel from Mike Chen, who is a beloved, beloved uh, Book Riot author. Everything he does is amazing, and we adore him to pieces. So this one is about a young woman who is a musician, and she's pretty punk rock, and she wants to be in a band, but she's also a vampire, and it's hard to you know, hide who she is, because in this world of being a vampire, like, you can get in big trouble if anybody finds out that you're a vampire. Like, the other vampires will come and end you. So, she's trying to keep it a secret, but then a long-last teenage relative shows up at her door, and she's finally feeling like she's making a connection, but things are going to get dangerous, and we're going to find out why. I don't know why. I haven't finished the book yet, so. (laughs) That one is Vampire Weekend by Mike Chen, and that is it for us today. We made it. I always feel like we, we should did. like clap for ourselves when we finish. No, after the edits that are coming out of this one, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm trying to compartmentalize, you know. <laughs> yep. So I got some wacky, and then I got you know sob and and never stop. So t- today I went with wacky. You are a delight. <laughs> well, thank you. This is yes. a delight, and everyone else is a delight, especially all those people who ask me about the cannibals. I love you yeah. the best. <laughs> Um, so that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, many, many, many times today. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about books or ask us questions. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Friends and Comes Alive. Don't forget that we are looking for an editorial operations associate. You can apply at bookriot.com slash join dash us. And if you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review, it helps other book lovers to find us. And we thank you so much for all of you who have done that and will do that in the future. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.